welcome to another episode of the Agile Weekly Podcast. I'm Jade Mesco. I'm Ray Vennewater. I'm Derek Neighbors. And I'm Clayton Lingelzigic. So guys, I wanted to talk today about uh, what is more important, uh, principles or practices? Explain. Will you use it in a sentence? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is more important, principles or practices? <laughs> so uh, dealing with a lot of teams... Uh, I've seen I've seen agile uh, be presented in many different ways. Uh, sometimes it's very process focused and practice focused. Sometimes it's really about uh, the principles uh, without a lot of uh, either prescriptive ideas about how process or practices would work. Uh, like how how do you get the best results from a team? What what's more important, focusing on the principles or focusing on the practices? This is a faith versus works question. It sure is. <laughs> Loaded. Uh, I view myself as kind of a principles kind of guy. Um, in this context, I think that the practices are something that you could probably do really quick, but for them to have long-lasting like impact or to 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 make more sense, I guess, so people understand why they might be doing these practices, I think you probably do need the principles. So. To answer your question, you need both of them. So it depends, is that right? <laughs> yes. I would say it depends on the level of team that you're applying them to, meaning I think that it is extremely important to have principles from the very beginning, but if you rely only on principles, I think it's very difficult for novices to be able to do much with raw principles, right? So if I say, like, lying is bad, don't lie. But, like, you have no experience with what lying even is. And, you know, uh, is it, a, you know, is a white lie okay? Is it, you know, like, all of these, like, nuanced things, right? You might be able to say, like, I know lying's bad, but I got put in a situation. I don't really know what to do with it. And so then I do the wrong thing. And even though I have the principle because I don't understand how the principle works, right? So I tend to find that principles are very, like, short, uh, you know, concrete things that have a lot of nuance and the only way to develop the skill of what is in that nuance is to have a whole lot of practice and so i think with novices it's very important to kind of put the guide rails on to say like do this thing almost cargo cult it to a certain degree of like just do this thing but reinforce the principle behind why you're doing that thing and once you understand it's the classic you know uh, miyagi son like wax the car wax on wax off right like i don't really know why i'm waxing on i don't really know why wax off i don't know why i'm painting the fence right like it seems kind of frustrating and you know you tell me that i'm going to be this really great karate fighter someday but i don't really get it because like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense and then at that one moment that you know that i have enough practice under my belt you can show me how it relates to the principle in a meaningful way and it kind of clicks and then from that point forward i can kind of let the practice uh be more dynamic to the situation right so i think a lot of it depends on what level you're at i think it's very difficult to teach principles without introducing some form of practice but i also think it's very dangerous to only focus on practice and not have people understand the principles behind the practices so it sounds to me like you're describing uh, kind of a, a balance or a tension between those two. How do you know when is the right, like what's the right balance for the right team? How do you, how do you gauge that? Well, let me give you the answer that will work for everybody. <laughs> All right, hit me. I don't have it. <laughs> I mean, I think that's going to be something that is born out of experience, right? But that's the trouble is you don't have the experience to make that call yet. I think 
But if you're if you're a coach, you're a scrum master. You know, you're you're performing some role with that team and sure. expected to guide them in some way. Like how how do you figure out what's where to where to push and where to? Well, I think one of the metrics pull. that we've used kind of uh, that we that we have mentioned in the past before, like we've always said, like uh, a team should always uh, like insist on pairing on production code, right? And so we'd say like we we'd be prescriptive to say that. Uh, all code is paired. And then as soon as you stop getting pushback from the team, when they are insisting that all code should be prepared and they want to do it that way, is like when they're ready to start breaking the rules. It's when they don't want to break the rules anymore is is an indicator that they may be mature enough to start thinking about breaking the rules. So like in, in that example, um, like I, I'm, I think I've had this exact scenario where there was some problem with the team where some people maybe knew something about the system or someone broke something about the system and not and everyone understood. So I think the principle there might be like collective code ownership. And you can't just say that, right? right. You can't say like, okay, you will now collectively own the code. We right? all own the code. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. So it's like that doesn't really make sense. But right. I think a pretty easy go-to, like a great way to get that, um, to apply that principle is pair programming. Mm-hmm. So that's a practice. And I think the way when I've seen pairing be introduced without the principles behind it, if the people on the team aren't very open to trying new things or maybe changing the way they work or not used to that sort of thing, then they really want to throw it away. And then I feel like you once they throw their practices away, like even if you come back with the principle and say, like, no, you don't understand. See, this is why we're doing this. It's kind of like, yeah, I don't want right. to do that anymore. That, that worked for uh, for Danielson in the movies, but that doesn't work so well in real life. Yeah. Well, like a good example I saw, you know, even just this week in some interactions, right, is uh, you know, pairing's good and all, but like, let's, we don't really feel a need to pair on the easy stuff. And it's like, that's a really easy trap to fall into, right? Like, well, it's not that hard. And so it's, well, why are you pairing? Right? Well, we're pairing because when we're doing hard stuff, we want more than one person because two minds are better than one. And it's like, I, I don't, I don't anywhere see kind of the two minds are better than one, maybe doing things in teams. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but, but short of that, I'm not seeing the technical practices of, Two people is better as one is like an overarching principle per se, right? I think doing work in teams kind of is, so maybe it falls in that a bit. But my question would be, is it really about everybody owning the code? In which case, shouldn't everybody own the simple code too? And then if we start to look at like, what does automation look like? If it's so simple that anybody could do it, could you automate it? Right? And, and I think it starts to, like, when you have a little bit more depth into the principle of, like, why do we pair? Well, we pair because we want to work in teams, and we pair because we want collective code ownership. We pair because, and, and you list off five or six principles. Then when somebody says, like, hey, I don't want to pair on this, the, like, hard stuff, it's like, okay, well, maybe that solves the we do difficult work in small teams. Like, maybe that applies. But then how do we still have collective code ownership if we're doing that, right? So I, I think it's understanding, like, that there's depth to principles, right? Like it's not just one practice aligns to a single principle more often than not. It's a practice might align to three or four different principles. And so when people try to tweak them, it's like, well, I'm tweaking it this because I don't really like it. Tweaking it this way doesn't invalidate that principle, but it might invalidate some other principle, right? And so I think that's why it's important to know those. And I think that when people know them, that's why they don't want to throw the practices away because they know they're getting more than just the surface bang for the buck, Mm -hmm. right? So how do you get teams to understand that? We've seen it a lot. We've seen a lot of people reject a lot of practices that we know are good for them, but they don't, they don't understand it yet. I think sometimes you, you have to, I don't want to say force them to do the practice, but I think you have to 
strongly encourage them to do the practice for some length of time so that they can start to see the benefits and start to see the depth of it. And then when they throw things away, they come back to them because they realize what they're losing, right? So if I'm pairing all the time and I'm getting all the benefits of pairing all the time, and then I decide to lax out and not pair on the hard stuff or not pair, right? And then I start to get bit by those other things. And somebody from an outside viewpoint can say like, man, it doesn't look like this is working out so well for you. And like, then somebody's like, oh, well, that's because so-and-so like did that in the corner and blah, blah. And I don't like the way they implemented it. It's like, well, like, how come you didn't know the way they implement it? Well, because we don't pair on the hard stuff. It's like, oh, oh, or the easy stuff. Oh, like, tell me more about that, right? And it gets the, gets to be able to reframe that. But if you just say, like, I don't like pairing, so I'm not going to pair, you're never going to understand the value of the mm-hmm. principles for that practice. I think there's a lot to be said for having the ability, and I think a lot of it comes from experience, to be able to identify some particular patterns or problems that the team might be having and say, okay, you know, um, we'll use pairing again. If you got, you know, I know that if the team were doing more pairing, this probably would be less of a problem or it would help them come to a better solution on their own. So having that experience to be able to suggest those things. And then I think having like a time boxed um, length of time that people could try new things. Mm-hmm. I think that goes a long way. And I don't know how that works with principles though. Like, can't, I think principles, time box principles. Well, but I, th- I think they're so like abstract. Um, like they're they're too high level. We're gonna have collective code ownership for the next two weeks, and then you know maybe we won't collectively own yeah, code anymore. Yeah, like that feels weird, right? Right. But so what happens if if you only see the practices and you don't understand the philosophy that is driving those things? At a, a certain point, you'll probably start cargo culting, and like if you don't understand the philosophy, like there are times, and I, I don't know any off the top of my head, but there are times where the practices that frequently work towards a particular philosophy or principle will actually work against it when applied incorrectly. And we see that all the time when you throw out the baby with the bathwater. So I I don't know if I fully agree with that. Like, I think that more often than not, even when people do a fair amount of cargo culting, they're still way better off than they were doing nothing or doing what they were before. I think what you tend to see is you either see a plateau Right, so I, if I just cargo cult something like a stand up or something, right, it's probably still way better that I spend ten minutes talking with the team rather than never ever talking to the team. But I'm gonna hit a plateau of that only takes me. I only get so much benefit for that, and then it just kind of flattens off. So then it feels like I might be doing more damage, even though in reality it's still better than it sure. was, right? Or what you'll see is you'll see. Uh, practices get abandoned fairly quick because they don't understand the benefit or the reasons for it. Yeah, but what? So we we're, we've dealt with some teams recently that have adopted many of the surface level, uh, quote unquote, agile practices, but are are lacking in the philosophy of that. So agile has become their weapon to use against other people who want things from them. I think that's that's a good example of. When you don't understand the principles, you don't you can't uh, introspect. You can't have self awareness about how effectively you're using them. Um, you can't improve those things, right? So I think that's a big thing. Um, you, if they're only the, if it's only the practice that you know, or you only know the practice, then it's only going to take you so far. And you can't ever look and say like, okay, the principle of why I'm doing this is to achieve some end goal or end state or whatever or the philosophy. So how could I change my practice or improve my practice or alter it somehow? Uh, and and have a difference basically, so, right? You don't right. you don't have that. Insight. So I th- so I think a big thing of the practice is that each of these practices, when applied especially initially, cause some amount of pain, 
And if you don't understand the philosophy of what you are trying to accomplish with the practice, you start altering the practice and minimize the pain. Yeah. And then you bastardize the practice to a form where it no longer delivers the value that was originally intended. Right. I, I would say in the example you're giving, I would say that uh, working with the people having to work with that team or that organization that, that is adopting those practices are in just as much pain as they were before that team adopted those practices. Mm-hmm. So why, it's, why, it's, why people can make fun of the practices right now, the reality is people were not happy with the way it worked before those practices True. came in. But I think if you went to those teams, they've actually seen some benefit internally to themselves. I think they've seen a lot of de- detriment to themselves as well. But I think, Roy, you're absolutely right. What happens is they adopt the practices at a base level, cargo coding level. They get a minor bump in a lot of things that they didn't have before, but it's really painful. And then they start to bastardize the practices in ways that actually violate the principles to reduce the pain. And, and I think that's the danger of not having the principles at all is when it gets painful, if you can look back to the principle and say like, oh, I really want to turn the dial back the other direction or change gears, right, in a way that violates the principle, the principle will tell you don't do that. If you don't understand the principles at all, you end up with these really crazy things, right? Like right. It, it started off with a, a stand-up that looked great and it turned into this like crazy six-hour meeting three days a week because like – whatever was painful. So it reminds me a lot. I remember taking calculus and Roy probably correct me, but we were doing something with differentials or integrals or something where the example, like, I'm the math whiz. Well, I don't know. You know, this. probably stuff. factorials. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the, the examples that we did in homework and in the class, we did like literally hundreds of these examples was always a, a boat leaving a dock. And it was like, you have to figure out like where the path of the boat will be. Right. And then we take the test and the two things on the test, one was a finance question, like price forecasting, right. and the other one was a physics question. And I think everyone was like, what the fuck? Like, Where's the know. boat? There's no boat, right? <laughs> I can only do calculus for boats. Exactly, right? And so I think that's a, that was like, we, we did all this stuff where we were practicing this thing, and you, you, you started taking it in, all into, like, even the variables turned into parts of, features of the boat, right? And then when I got to it, how, like, wow, you can really apply this to anything. It's like, well, it doesn't fit the boat requirement. I feel like that happens a lot. Like I didn't, right. We didn't understand the principle of what we were actually trying to do. All we understood was the practice of the boat. So that's pair programming, right? Like, I think a lot of people that just do the practice, they view it as like two coders writing code together side by side with like a keyboard or two keyboards. But I think if you understand the principles of maybe why you're doing that, you can expand that into other things where maybe there's not two coders or maybe there's people that don't, aren't doing any code whatsoever, but they can still pair on something, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, real quick, uh, looking back on your Agile journey, uh, what do you think was most important to you, the, the principles or the practices? So like I said at the beginning, I'm a principles person by nature, so I would say the principles. I think the principles are what attracted me to it, but I think the practices are what kept me going uh, long enough to stick with it. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it was kind of the opposite for me where I didn't know about any of the principles before I started the practices. And I was, I was very interested, especially with some of the, the XP practices, where I only knew them by name and a basic idea of how it was supposed to work. And I was very much focused on the how and got very into that. And it took me a long time before I even started caring about the why. Hmm. Interesting. But I would say the, the principles over time have become way more important. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening. Is there something you'd like to hear in a future episode? 
head over to enneagramtech.com slash podcast, where you can suggest a topic or a guest. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. The Agile Weekly podcast is brought to you by Enneagram Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out enneagramtech.com or subscribe on iTunes. Need help with your Agile transition? Have a question and need to phone a friend? Try calling the Agile Hotline. It's free. Call 866-244-8656.